And there came a day, a day unlike... Wait, no, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks and... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 225 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How's it going this week, Brian? Ooh, it's good, but I I'm, I built a new computer and that throws your life into a mess. But let me tell you, it it you, you have described this computer to me already. Oh, Surprise. Yeah. We do talk a little bit outside of when we record. Yeah. Um, it is a thing of beauty. It, it it's it's real nice <laughs> like wow i i bought a screamer this time <laughs> i would describe it in the following words automatic <laughs> hydromatic literally <laughs> systematic it's greased lightning i may have to get a, a lightning decal for that now that's beautiful <laughs> yes. yeah um, yeah i Replaced the lighting fixture in my office with a ceiling fan. I was going to say, you also did something cool. <laughs> and uh, I don't, th- I've, I've talked about this with a couple of people. I don't think I've mentioned it on here. I have decided I am picking up a new hobby here while I have so much free time without theater happening. Okay. Um, and that is rehabbing, refurbing, modding, whatever you want to call it, old video game console specifically handhelds ah okay so i have ordered a couple of game boy advances that are beat up and screens are scratched up battery covers missing that kind of thing yeah and i have ordered a bunch of tools that i need to do all of this that are Mm -hmm. they should all be here tomorrow monday the day this episode drops and then i have ordered for the first one i'm gonna do an an ips screen that is backlit because that original Game Boy Advance wasn't backlit. Correct. Oh my god! I like. I remember my kids. I think my niece had one, and like I looked at it and I was like, I can't play this. This is this is yeah. This is they, impossible. They made these little lights that reminded me of like book lights, book lights. lights. Yep. That plugged into the, the port on the back, and they were like spiral telephone wire style, but stiff yep. and flexible, and they just sort of shone a light down. This is backlit and has four times as many pixels and just is like pixel pixel perfect recreation. So each pic, each one becomes four pixels. Nice. Um, the videos I've seen of these things are beautiful. And then they make kits now where you can, because the original Game Boy Advance wasn't rechargeable. It took double A's. You can drop in a rechargeable battery and it comes with a small chip that, you know, modulates that, controls that, tells power yeah. what to do. And that just sits into the battery pack and uses the pre-existing contacts. So I am going to start modding handhelds. I'm starting with the Game Boy Advance because it seems to be kind of the easiest to start with. Okay. Um, But I am very excited for this, and it gives me an excuse to learn to solder, which would be helpful to me in other places, too. Yeah, that would be very cool. 
So I am excited. I will post pictures online. I don't use social media, but I think I'm going to just use any social media I have to document this entire process. That's, that is super, that's a super cool thing. I've watched some videos of some people refurbing things like that. And yeah. I, I see, that's how it started for me as I watched a lot of these videos and I'm like, one, this is kind of relaxing, but two, okay. It's not that hard. Like I could, I could sit here and do this. I just need to learn to solder. Right. Soldering's not bad. No, it no. seems pretty straightforward. Uh, or at least I'm telling myself that. Sure. I'll let you know how many times I burn myself in the next week, and we'll measure. Oh, you will do that some, yeah. but that's just, yeah. Can't yeah. be worse than the time I poured molten sugar all over my arm. Ouch. I think I remember that. Yeah? yeah. You, you were involved in this. Uh, yeah, correctly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were not there at three in the morning when I did it. To I was not, but... Uh... But yeah, I I did I did eat some of that tasty sugar glass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, comics. Yeah. Let's, um, let's do it. Speaking of death and pain and eating glass, Dark Knight's Death Metal Guidebook number one. Whew, yeah. Um. So first of all, you know how I think it was last week we talked about the Empire Handbook. Yep. And how it was like, you know, a, a official guide and like listed characters and events and caught you up on history and that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, text and all that. Yeah, this ain't that. No, I, I picked this up mostly because I saw, I think Chip Zdarsky is the, the main person I saw actually tweeting yeah. about having some pages. And I'm like, okay, well, I asked what this thing is I'll, or what, what the handbook was. I'll grab this and there'll be some Chip pages. Chip is writing Harley Quinn. Yes, please. Yep. Um, beautiful. Was it Carrie Randolph who drew his arc? His, uh, his... It was. Yeah. Beautiful Carrie Randolph art. Like, I'll see what this is and enjoy these pages no it's what happened between the end of scott snyder's justice league run and the beginning of death metal yeah um kind of important that yeah and this then, is this is definitely a, a gap filler in anthology yeah. format yeah and then kind of region by region in this new batman who laughs earth who is the general who runs each of these areas who you know we, we kind of follow a character in each right uh who comes into conflict with them and then a few general information pages about like what's geographically here what characters are hanging out here so like across this whole thing there are maybe five pages that feel sort of like the summary character sheet version of right yep these areas um and this whole guidebook is in fiction written by lex Luthor. so definitely Definitely an important issue for death metal if you are reading it. It is. I will also say, DC, congratulations on actually timing this correctly. <laughs> yeah. Right after the death metal where we see Lex Luthor, right? Like he's the person on the last page that, oh, look, Lex is part of this. And then we get this. Yeah. I, I, I also love the little nod uh, in the sort of Lex Luthor introduction page where he is in this green cloak on the moon, and he looks very much like sort of the current status quo for Nick Fury in the Marvel I, Universe. Yes, yes, very much the, yes. And there's even like a caption box that changes a couple of words to be like the opposite of the traditional Avengers. It was a day unlike any other. 
It's like, it was a day, much like any other. Right. I'm like, okay. Again, we're having fun with this thing. I don't think we talked about in the last issue the Silver Surfer Batman who showed up. Um, but I love that this sort of love letter to comics is doing everything it can to be about comics and not just DC comics. Yeah, I, there were some there were some clever things in this. Like, I mean, obviously that. The other thing is the way they drew the silhouette of him in this green cloak is very like just the outline that you get and everything is very much kind of supposed to, I think, lead you to think, oh, is this the specter? That that was kind of where I went right? first, yeah. Yeah, and like there's even a shot where they show like his mouth and nose in profile from under the hood, and it's very pale, so mm-hmm. it could easily – like there's definitely a – Oh, this was kind of supposed to look like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be a fun uh, twist given that mm-hmm. if before this is over, they then turn around and make Lex Luthor the specter. <laughs> oh, my God. If it's oh, not my- just a feint and is foreshadowing. Okay. The other question that I have is the the Batman who is Dr. Arkham. Yes. Is that just straight up Otto Octavius? Uh, he definitely has that <laughs> that big I mean, Doc Ock is, energy. Yes, like I mean, visually, he yeah. just looks exactly like Doc Ock. <laughs> but anyway, so like who, you're you're right though. I love this whole. You're exactly right. Love letter to comics is what this is because. Who yeah. is your favorite general who we meet in this issue? Oh gosh, um, ignoring the obvious answer wonder woman of the of the batman i gotta say i i think and this is this is i'm a little concerned in where the whole dark knight sinks is going with this in that i think the batman who laughs himself is one of the best new inventions in probably the last 10 years yeah so it's hard for me to not just root for him, even though maybe he doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> you know, um, but if you take that one away, maybe Bat-Thomet? That's actually where I shake out too. I think, yeah, um, partly because the thing that Bat-Thomet reminds me of a little bit, and I don't know if this is directly coming from this story or is just loosely inspired by or maybe even coincidence but it reminds me of the doom that came to gotham especially when we learned that bruce wayne was on this fishing excursion or this excursion at sea and found this thing so like if nothing else it makes me think of that story which i dig uh also the becky clunan art i think she writes and draws that story yeah I there is never enough Becky Clunan art in my life. <laughs> Fair enough. I, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed the story and like yeah, I mean it's 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 a Batman Cthulhu character. How do you not like this? Yeah. Uh, the other the other story I absolutely loved. I mean these were all these were all excellent. And by the way, good job excluding Wonder Woman because of course that's what I mean. yeah. Well. We With have to talk about the Wonder Woman one because we do absolutely. Vita Ayala wrote, Dan mm-hmm. Panosian drew, and 
this is just gorgeous and heartfelt and such a good Wonder Woman and such a good Poison Ivy. I was going to say, and now I want a Wonder Woman Poison Ivy team up arc. Right? Yes. I sure do. Maybe even a Wonder Woman Poison Ivy and Harley. Yeah. I mean, let's just get Wonder Woman in on an arc of Birds of Prey. <gasps> okay. Or, or... I guess Harley and Ivy is a little more Gotham City Sirens, but I don't know. Like, yeah, we can mix and match. We can I'm, do I'm whatever. Can I can I custom pick my? Can I like choose my own characters to be involved in this? Yes, right now, go. Okay, because um, I'm definitely thinking uh, uh, maybe mm, God Orphan, maybe Orphan's a good pick. Would that not be a good choice to go in here? Yeah. Um, and then wow. Uh, I need one more. We get her and Zatanna in in Justice League Dark, so I want to do something different than that. Black Canary's not a bad choice. Black Canary is always a good choice. Here is so if we're taking Wonder Woman, Ivy, and Harley as given, I will fill mm-hmm. out with my last two. No, you know what? Actually, this is gonna. I, I'm gonna take Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, because we never see her in Wonder Woman together. That's a good pick. Yeah, I'm gonna say Harper Rowe. Okay, yep. Because someone, Babs does this for you, but someone needs to be good with yeah. tech, right? Yeah, right. Um, so I'm going to say Harper Rowe, and I thought at first maybe Barda, but I think Barda and Wonder Woman yeah. kind of both fill the big bruiser role. Yep. Um, although it could be fun having both of them and having like Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman be a little more tactical and Barda be a little more hot-headed yeah um but i think someone like i don't know bring in a star girl someone who's a little more earnest than everyone else in the room (laughs) okay someone to be not quite moral compass but someone who everyone else is gonna want to live up to a little bit and then yeah i i think that would be my five the the three yeah at times wonder woman can be that it just depends on what story she's in and how she's written wonder woman can be that but like sometimes wonder woman also needs to look to the left and be like oh no i should be the person she thinks i am right and not just go amazon warrior like i like that i like that doing that leaves room for wonder woman to go no i could think twice about this right (laughs) you know what could be actually pretty amazing would be <laughs> if the person that keeps putting her in that role is someone like Harley. <laughs> like Harley just sees her as such a great, wonderful role model that she wishes she could be. Yes. That it makes Wonder Woman be better because of it. <laughs> Harley and Stargirl have the same Wonder Woman poster hanging in their bedrooms. <laughs> Oh my god, I love this now. Alright, um... Anything else on Death Metal Guidebook? This is fun. This is so much it, fun. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Batman, Jonah X, come on. And Harley in the Wasteland fighting Boomerang. With her beautiful good, good boy. Yes. I would I would read some Chip Starsky Harley Quinn, too. I would definitely read some Chip Starsky Harley Quinn. Um, speaking of Harley Quinn... Yeah. 
Harley Quinn number 75, which, Brian, you tell me is the last issue of this run. It is. Um, yeah, if you look at uh, the cover of this, it advertises itself as a roast, a Joker War tie-in, a series finale. This comic has it all. <laughs> so this is, this is Harley Quinn roasting herself, which, you know, is very apropos for this uh, series. Sometimes um, the word for that is just anxiety. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's her birthday. And we get these little – there's a lot of uh, different writers and artists involved in this. Well, I guess a lot of artists involved in this. Uh, Sam Humphreys writes the whole thing. But each of these kind of imaginings of Harley Quinn as somebody is supposedly telling a story about the real Harley Quinn um, are these little vignettes, which are like we get Super Harley, which is Harley and the old Super Friends <laughs> team. Right, beautiful. Uh, we get a Harley in uh, in her Harley and gang of Harleys, uh, Coney Island uh, situation, right? Uh, which is fun. We get a Suicide Squad vignette where <laughs> Amanda Waller sends her sends the team to the White House because um, the president and the next nineteen people in the line of succession have all been kidnapped and are being held hostage. <laughs> right. Um, and she, so she sends the team in specifically Harley, knowing that Harley will not hold back and Harley goes in and kills everybody in the room essentially. And then realizes that there weren't any, ter you know, hostage holders. <laughs> she just killed the, the first 20 people in the line of succession. Whoops. And at earlier, like way earlier, there's like what somebody asked, well, who's 21st? And like they just gloss over it and move on. Yeah, 21st is Amanda Waller. So she gets sworn of as president. Of course. <laughs> so like it's that kind of thing. So it's just it's just stupid, hardly fun. That is um, fantastic. Yeah. So we get all of that and then – the last, and that's that's the, the the main story, and it's like a you know just a fun send off to Harley, and then there is a story at the end, which is the Joker War tie-in, which is Harley after Punchline slits her throat and throws her in the sewer. Okay. So it is, eh, I think it's like ten, twelve pages of Harley getting through that. Cool. Yeah. And that is uh that is super fun, uh, and that one specifically is uh, Riley Rosmo, which is a fun different art style. Yeah, for Harley. Yeah, I feel yeah. like he's maybe done. Oh, I think he did uh, one of the Harley red, white, or black, white, and red. Okay, stories. I was gonna say yeah. I can picture I can picture his Harley art. Yeah, this was fun. Cool. Yeah, I am shocked that they ended a harley quinn series though there's got to be more in the pipes at some um point. i'm guessing it's probably to make way for something else yeah would be my guess moving on let's talk injustice year zero number four <laughs> i love this book so much i love this issue in particular because boy howdy do i enjoy seeing people beat up on nazis and speaking of nazis Guess what? Brian's quote of the week. Quote, quote. So, um, 
Yeah, so this, it, it, we learned from last time that um, it, this is essentially Joker learning about this relic, right? This, that could give him this power. And the guy that's telling it to him was is basically talking and saying something about uh, uh he's talking about the boys commandos and, and joker's like kids with guns fighting in a war that sounds recklessly irresponsible i love it uh, uh that's a level of childhood nature even batman would raise an eyebrow at and then he goes okay fascinating story so far andre but let's hurry up and get to the nazi killing i, I thought you'd like them what i'm an american i fucking hate nazis I'm a homicidal maniac, not a traitorous bigot. <laughs> this is, look, I I am on the record many times as saying I'm tired of the Joker, but you know what? The Joker clowning on Nazis? <laughs> All good. 100% of the time I am here for. <laughs> yeah. And then we get, and then we get Justice Society. Yes, we do. Yeah, right. we do. You know, I, I think I've I've mentioned this, but like we've had so little Justice Society at all in the time I've been reading comics. Yep. That because it was very limited in, in New 52. Right. We didn't so we didn't ever get an Earth Zero Justice Society presence until it started coming back in uh in Doomsday Clock and then in Justice League. What we got was on Earth 2, right? a sort of contemporary, a contemporaneous version of the Justice, Justice Society. Right. So in modern times, we saw how they performed. And that was cool. I actually really enjoyed that. But like, I want more Alan Scott and more Jay Garrick and more of, and those are the two I probably know the best, but more of these characters. Whether Midnight and yeah. Wildcat. Yeah. Like, getting to see some of them in Stargirl, uh, like, getting the bits we've gotten. I There is, I think, an earnestness to them that I like having in comics um, and would like to see more of. And if that also means we get to see Hot Girl bash some Nazis' heads in, I'm also here for that. I would love, you know what, you know what, I would love to see a new, at least a, like a 12 issue run of, mm -hmm. would be like a new Infinity Inc. book. See, I'm not familiar with that. So Infinity Inc. was, uh, so All-Star Squadron in the 80s was a big long run of Justice Society on Earth 2. Uh -huh. And uh, it introduced like Liberty Bell and... Um, you know, Johnny Quick got in there and some other folks. Um, Infinity Inc. was essentially the the kids or the next generation. So think like Teen Titans of Justice Society. Okay. So this is where like I know I know like, like Jade. Jade and Obsidian. Jade. Yeah, and Obsidian. Obsidian, right? They were both on it. Yeah. Uh Nuclon, who was uh uh the son of um the Adam. Like, I was going to guess the, the Adam based on yeah. the name. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who else was in there. But th that was a fun – that was a fun – I would love to see a, a redo of that. Yeah, I think I think it would be a good time to do something like that in – I mean, I'd love to see more of these characters post-Death Metal in continuity, and I feel like that's yeah. part of what we're building toward. Yeah. But it's it's – 
it's a good time to bring them back. I think I think that's where I'll leave it. But yeah. this is seeing them just show up and be like kind of great and earnest and not not in an oh shucks way just in a like no there is a way to do good and we're here to do good like that's fine yeah. we'll do what we need to to do good and i'm i mean i say this all the time right superhero comics that get too grim and gritty and pessimistic that's where i tend to fall off yeah like there's a place for those stories but they have to be limited i think sure um and this is an injustice book it gets grim and gritty and all those things it, well, does that does, well. yeah. but yeah. it's it's the aaron sorkin thing like comedy and drama don't exist in a vacuum you need both for either to work yeah 100 yeah. percent. no other than if you're not reading the digital versions when they come out then you gotta pick it up and trade yeah tell me about justice league number 51 so um this is them returning from they this is them coming back from uh, their adventure in space where they were, you know, the rulers of a world for a little bit yep. and, and made some horrible choices um, <laughs> and learn, hopefully learned from them. Um, but they come out and the world is not what it should be. Um, and so they go down to the earth to try to figure out why there's no people around uh, or where they all are and end up finding something that, is like this huge growth, like, you know, skyscraper size or larger growth. It's a tumor. Um, seriously, not completely off because <laughs> um, no, what they find out is this is essentially a world size conquering Black Mercy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that ain't good. <laughs> no. No, like one, what they now realize was a seedling Black Mercy, right? Held Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman in thrall. Yeah. Yeah, this one essentially has no problem taking the whole Justice League out. So here's a question that occurs to me. Uh-huh. What happens if you put a Black Mercy and a Starro together? <laughs> I would imagine it's much like if you put a, you know, cast, throw a portable hole into a dimension door or something, you know, like put a bag of holding <laughs> in, a, in a portable hole, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. it's, it, like it, it just ain't good. <laughs> but uh, Batman is able to resist it the longest because of his previous dealings. Right? Sure. Um, but I don't think he's going to be out of it either. So, yeah. And uh, I don't know, Jeff Loveness is writing this. Oh, cool. Yeah, so uh, it, it's good. How about Metal Men? You caught up on like five issues of this. this I week. did. So I'm, I'm a big old-time Metal Man, and I think mostly for me, Metal Men is just like, when I was a kid, I loved the concept of these characters, right? Mm -hmm. This story, and I don't know how much I've talked about it at all. Uh, I think very little. I think I mentioned it when it first came out, but yeah. we have learned uh, obviously a whole lot about what this story is since then. And essentially what happened is I'm going to do a whole series catch up on this. Sure. Um, we found out that Will Magnus, the creator of the metal men essentially was a bit of a fraud in that the, the thing that made the metal men alive and real people, the responsometer, right? Turns out that it really, really was not true AI. 
that gave them life, but a super, super advanced program and algorithm, which is super, super relevant in society today. Right? <laughs> yeah. That how good and how complex does an algorithm have to be before it looks just like real AI? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so there's that. Well, he gets a call from Jeanette Clyburn at Star Labs, who they're investigating something and finds essentially this giant pool of nth metal from, you know, the dark dimension. Mm -hmm. And call Will Magnuson to consult on it, and it turns out basically because the nth metal, something about it is calling Will Magnus's name. So essentially he goes there. Well, the nth metal man essentially gets a or the nth metal gets a response meter and creates the nth metal man. <laughs> so there's a metal man made of nth metal. That will either go very well or very poorly. And honestly, we're still not a hundred percent sure which. <laughs> um the other thing is the metal men find out that it's revealed to them that they have been destroyed over and over and over and over again, and he just keeps creating new ones, right? They're like Janets. Yes, kind of. And so, you know, they feel real betrayed. Well, the nth metal man essentially changes them, changes the response meter in them to truly make them living now. Like they are 100% independent thinking entities now which causes a bit of identity crisis for them they won't loyally follow magnus's orders anymore they're you know so like that but sounds it, like it might be a good thing all considered it, it, it's, it is in a lot of ways but it introduces for all of them all of these things they've never had to deal with before like feelings of inadequacy and you know, unsure of how to deal with things and doubt and, you know, potentially depression and like all, all the of these like come with being human. Yeah. Like all of these real things that you have to deal with. Right. And obviously, you know, they all respond to it, but it also introduces some real interesting things like 10, right. Always had a stutter because he was always this self-doubting, no confidence type thing. Well, that's gone, and he's actually quite competent and confident with himself now, which is which is really good. But so it, it, basically, it changes them, and honestly, does the one thing that no metalman story has ever allowed them to do, which is change. Yeah, right. And Tina is like the last one to. Here's the other thing: is the first couple, like Gold, I think was the first one that he did this to, and he did it to save him because gold was essentially destroyed mm -hmm. um and that was the only way to save him was this new whatever he he's done to them it's never exactly clear exactly what it is um but so that was kind of against gold's will right but the rest of them he has like asked them before he's done this like they yeah and tina was the last one to accept because you know she obviously was programmed to love will magnus and like always Want it. So she didn't want to accept this. Well, she, there's revelations and she finds out that, you know, uh, so she finally accepts it also. Um, and there are, you know, true to any form, there have been attacks by different creatures from the metal men's past, the missile men. Um, and, and then late in the last couple of issues, chemo, 
right? And we find out the Nth Metal Man actually released them to attack the Metal Men to distract them, because what he was actually what he actually came here to do was to gr- take Tina back to his dark dimension. Essentially, I think to create and free, kind of like the Batman who laughs, taking right the the all of the people from dark dimensions into a place where they can survive long term. Yeah, like, continue to. So, um, but we find out the Nth Metal Man, since coming here and making friends with them, actually wants to just remain here and w- and wants to close the gate to the dark dimension, so that you know. He can stay here, but <laughs> there's not danger. Yeah. Um. So kind of – so he's like super nebulous, and we don't know exactly what his motives are still. But um, in this last issue, essentially what happens is his, his metal men, which we don't know who else they, they comprise of because we only see them in shadow, um, essentially we know show up and take gold and platinum and the nth metal man. And I'm guessing next issue we're going to find out who they are. But the other thing, is, while in the meantime, the rest of the team, so um, Iron and Lead and Mercury and Tin, are all fighting chemo and are with their ability to think for themselves and act in ways that they know best because they know themselves better than Will ever did. They actually work together and are far better at battling than previously. Nice. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of cool concepts that have never been done before with Metal Men in this. And so I'm kind of super excited about that. Awesome. Yeah. Speaking of new concepts and new ideas that will affect things going forward, Wonder Woman Annual Number 4. So we have been talking about Mariko Tamaki's run on Wonder Woman, but this annual is actually written by Steve Orlando, who had been on the book prior to her taking over. Yes. And I think from what I can tell, because I think you've read Steve Orlando's run, right? Yep, I have. Okay. I have not. This is, I think, picking up and maybe tying up loose ends from his run. Is that A little bit. A little bit, yeah. So things I did not know. There is a second colony of Amazons that does not get along with the first group of Amazons, and Ares wants them to be at odds with each other. Is that right? Yeah. So um, Wonder Woman uh, uh, actually um, uh, Hippolyta's aunt, so before Hippolyta even took control, uh, there was a faction split among the Amazons, and Atalana took a group and left Paradise Island. Okay. And they went and traveled. And if you read, um, God, what was it? Um, Odyssey of the Amazons? Is that what it was called? Yes. Right? It was like a three-book little miniseries thing. Um, it was a lot about uh, Amazons who left to travel and, and that the same kind of thing. Um, and they ended up fi- founding another colony called Bana Migdal. And for a long, long time, the rest of the Amazons really didn't know about it. And then during Steve Orlando's runs, or essentially they – and actually we've known about this for a long time now um, because uh, I believe – oh, gosh, what's her name? Um, that was part of the Outsiders, uh, redheaded Amazon. 
Artemis? Artemis, yes. It is from there. Gotcha. Yeah. Because of this faction split, they traditionally did not get along, right? Gotcha. And didn't trust them, but recognize that they are still, you know, sisters. And, and at the outset of this, they have tried to ally with each other. Yes. They have opened a Themyscarian or Amazonian embassy. Yep. At sea to to try to connect with the human world and actually have international relations. Yes. So is there anything else at the outset of this that is important that I have not keyed into? I don't think so. I think that's the the, right. the big thing is to know that there are these two and that uh, there was a person, there was somebody who took over and basically enslaved Wonder Woman's great aunt, right? Uh, and took rulership of this other colony, the Bonham McDowell. And uh, that that story was essentially Wonder Woman going there and um, freeing her great aunt and kind of the resolution of that, which was not that they banished or, you know, killed or whatever this upstart because she had valid things, but that her great aunt took back over rulership, but like she was like her confidant and advisor and, you know, essentially kind of number two. Gotcha. Yeah. So this story introduces or, or reintroduces maybe, yeah. I don't know, yeah. the Dark Fates who have appeared in this uh, uh, city that basically brigadooned its way into, was it Brazil? Yep. It did not exist on the maps, but oops, suddenly now it's on the map and there's this electrical storm dome kind of cutting it off and the one person who has escaped it is just terrified for her life. Every, the, the, the sort of explanations with every step she takes, she sees how, yeah. how, how that could go wrong, which we learn very literally is every, every choice, every action, literally every step causes the people in this city to, imagine every negative possible outcome basically to be paralyzed by fear to be yeah. trapped in the 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 nightmare of everything that could go wrong with every choice you take yeah um and that is the effect of the dark fates that is their attempt to make this world palatable to them this world a world in which they can exist without dying and their goal is to spread this until as they put it, they can breathe. Yeah, and so Wonder Woman with the perfect circle, well, so Truth goes to fight them. Uh, she has fought them before, so she has experience. And she steps into this, and, you know, so from that point, her, her, her journey through this and fighting them is kind of fairly predictable kind of thing, you know, pretty standard story stuff. Um, but what isn't is the revelation that we get from her aunt her great aunt uh, after this, after she defeats the dark fates, which is the really important part of this. I think. Yeah. We, part of the reason we're talking about this is it promises in its solicitation text. And then in the course of it, we both think probably delivers on this, a, a pretty big status quo change that will, that will have to pay off in the future. Yeah. And what is that? Uh, that this city, or, or a, there is a city in, 
So one of the things that Diana discovered when she went to the city is these people knew of Amazons mm -hmm. and were familiar with them, like very familiar with them. And it turns out that's because there is another colony of Amazons, a third colony of Amazons that neither that the others didn't really know existed. The only person who knew they existed was her aunt, and she's not you know sure of details about it. She just knows that it exists. And so now there is going to be a a a mission to find them and see who they are. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out yeah. going forward, right? Like Agreed. Yeah. The big status change is that there is a third colony of Amazons now. Yeah. Somewhere in central South, South, South America. Yeah. Somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight. <laughs> All right. Moving on to Spider-Woman. I, I asked to put this on the list so that I could ask Brian to explain some things to me. And Brian responded, well... Maybe I can, maybe I can't. The point may be we don't know. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about this and, and figure out some of what's going on because I don't – I have read a good number of books with Spider-Woman in them, but I don't know a lot about Spider-Woman's past. So I am, I am not the, the person that is an expert on Spider-Woman that can answer a lot of your questions, but we'll see. Over the course of this issue, basically we learn that the, the billionaire who is coercing Jessica into being a human guinea pig for uh, a cure for his daughter's illness has been betrayed, is consistently being betrayed by potentially someone working for him, and Jessica has to help him and his daughter escape, and he is being shady through the course of this. He's he's Ultimately, he and Jessica get them onto a plane that he is piloting and he won't say where and he won't say what's up. And I'm going to go ahead and call spoilers for this. Yeah, like uh, the important thing is he's he's being uh, like Jessica knows that he's not telling it. And he even admits he's not telling her the whole truth. But he's like, I can't yeah. tell you everything yet. Also, his daughter is great. I love her. His, yeah, her daughter is. His daughter is fantastic. Yeah. Um, So here's where spoilers begin. Yeah. They end up crash landing uh and fighting dinosaurs because he has taken them to wondagore mountain where mm -hmm. their mother his and jessica's is hanging out and asks them to stop fighting her dinosaurs so so it turns out the daughter that she was trying to save is her niece yeah yeah um, I'm going to ask some questions and maybe you have answers. Maybe you don't, maybe there aren't meant to be yet. What is Jessica's history with Wondagore? Um, that I do not know, but I do know she, I do know that that history exists. And I think it has to do more with her dad than anything we know about her mom. Cause we know her father experimented on her. Right. Um, the second issue dealt a good deal with that. She clearly has a very negative reaction to being at Wondagore in the issue, so that makes sense. Yes. Do we, to your knowledge, know Jessica's mom? I don't think she's a new character, but I think the way she's being introduced here is a very new thing. Okay. Like the fact that she has these dinosaur creatures as pets, I think is a new thing. Gotcha. I mean, yeah. 
if you have dinosaurs for pets, you're automatically going to earn a couple of points in my book. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, not that that always pays off well in Marvel Comics, but I'll listen. How do you get Alex as a henchman supervillains? <laughs> Maybe have dinos. That's all I'm saying. Pet dinos is a good, good, good thing in the pro list of reasons to. Yeah, like... It's a bargaining chip. It won't get me to enlist right away. <laughs> right. But I'll put you on my Google calendar. But, you know, if you also have cake, then... <laughs> I mean, I can make my own cake. I cannot make my own cake. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm teasing this. The salt the dark side has cookies thing doesn't work <laughs> on me. I am assuming that it is news to the both of us that jessica has a brother and niece that is completely unknown yes okay the fact that that she has this awesome girl calling her auntie jessica soon yeah that's <laughs> gonna be uh cool that's gonna be pretty amazing yeah yeah i i i was certainly shocked by the very sudden change in scope of this book i am also and i can't uh, what i really can't wait is for jessica to tell like carol and her other friends about this family she didn't know she had <laughs> you know what jessica and carol are gonna have a lot to talk about <laughs> i know that's what i mean yeah right? it's like i've got a brother and a niece i didn't know i have and carol's like and i got well i guess jessica does know about the sister yeah because she like met her and like really likes her arms <laughs> yeah. valid valid yeah yeah, I, I, I like this this sort of status quo change. It makes some of the parts of the last couple of issues that seemed a little, not convenient from a storytelling point oh, of view, but a little a little bit, you know, okay. I get why Jessica's going with this, but why? why? Right. A little, they were a little convenient, maybe. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, it makes a lot of these pieces start to fall into place. Yes. Yeah, like like this was the the payoff moment for the first two issues. Yeah, yeah. It's why if you're trying to get into a series, not if you're like us and you're like, okay, we're reading everything, we've got to cut our losses quickly. But if you're trying to get into a series, give it like three issues, right? Yep. Because yeah, three was the magic number for this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Empire Roundup. Yeah. Uh, we've got three books this week, no main Empire series. Those don't come back until we kind of catch up on our tie-ins. Thank goodness. Uh, the first of these is Lords of Empire, which, if memory serves, was supposed to come out before three, but kind of like the other Lords of Empire books, is is sort of prequel territory. Yeah. Takes place before Empire number one. So these, yeah. these really can go anywhere. Uh, this gives us some recent history of swordsman and really kind of the swordsman coy relationship yes and um, the and the possession by the kotati yeah. who is essentially in control of swordsman right yeah when i'm saying swordsman here definitely like the right. swordsman kotati yes uh uh amalgamation yes and really truly this issue is answering one question what has radicalized swordsman what has driven him to this extreme place of no if it is a flesh 
creature, it needs to die. Um, and what is super, super sad about this is, it, it is we may not even have had this whole conflict, you know, if it weren't for corporate greed. Yeah. Yeah, like, and why is Koi also espousing this view? Well, it's because he's watched his father suffer. Right. At the hands of this. When he could have had essentially, you know, retiring peace, right? Yeah. Yeah. And did have and had it taken away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah, there was a lot of the, the Buffy, they pulled me out of heaven in this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think of the Lords of Empire issues, this one is up there in terms of importance for context. Especially if you are coming at this knowing more of these characters' histories. Yeah, it, it really does explain yeah, why he is as radicalized as he is. Yeah. yeah. Over in Genosha, <laughs> Empire X-Men number four. Uh, <laughs> I love just, just the best stupid book. <laughs> so... This is the fourth issue, the final issue, and it takes this amazing left turn. Deus Ex Magica? I don't... <laughs> I mean, not even that. Like, th there are basically two parts to this issue. There's the, yeah. the Doctor Strange, Wanda sort of bookends. <laughs> yep. But the, the heart of this, the part of this that I absolutely adore is that most of the, the, the present-day action of this issue says, okay, yeah, giant zombie plant thing, uh, X-Men fighting it, old ladies fighting it, yeah, that's cool. Beast and some moral relativism, sure. But we're gonna actually ignore most of that and let resurrected Explody Boy and zombie <laughs> Explody Boy just sit and watch the fireworks and catch up and have this great conversation about like accepting loss and and what it means to be alive and facing your mortality and accepting the world will go on without you and that can be okay and yeah oh like... my god it's a completely different book for half of it than the other three and a half issues right one of the best pieces of content period to come out of Dawn of X. Like if, if that hadn't existed, if, if the uh, injustice hadn't existed, this probably would have had my quote of the week in it. It would be which, that whole conversation though. Well, like, it, right. That was kind of the point, but, and I think that the, the tie up would have been essentially, you know, he, there's a point where he tells him, yeah, we had our first kiss. What really? Who was it with? Da, da, da. It was, with uh you know this person that, oh, that the arachnid girl yeah god she's way out of our league i know right isn't that amazing da, 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 da. and then at the end he's like hey so like are we dating her or what he was like no turn, turns out we don't like spiders <laughs> it was so good that's great. And once again, I get to appreciate just how thirsty magic is. <laughs> yeah, you, you bought the variant, didn't you? Huh? You oh, bought the I variant. Bought, of course right? I bought the variant. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But This, this but, show is incredible. <laughs> yeah, there's a... So magic has been... The, the, the splinter of the world tree, essentially, has 
forced her into overdrive full demon form, right? Mm -hmm. And um, she's like, hmm, yeah, I may have to, you can all be my slaves. And then she looks at Kurt and is like, but you especially, I find your form quite pleasing. Hey, <laughs> it's like, oh my make God. more mutants. <laughs> make more mutants, yeah. But then the reason I said Deus Ex Magica uh -huh. is <laughs> we get this. The first part, you said it was sandwiched by them. But uh, Doctor Strange and Wanda, we get at the beginning basically Doctor Strange helping Wanda and casting this spell that's going to undo what she did in resurrecting all these zombies on uh, – on Genosha. Uh, Genosha. But he, they like finish the spell and she's like, what the hell? There's nothing changed. He's like, oh, no, no, it did. But it takes 30 days to take effect. So as it turns out, <laughs> all the all the action of this book takes place 29 days and 18 that, hours later. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> Just um, beautiful. Just beautiful. So right as she's about to do everything to, to take control and and force every 30 days is up and yeah. it's gone and the splinter's gone and she just reverts to her regular human form and oh wow that was a lot huh <laughs> <laughs> i love how unapologetic she is about it too yeah. though it's like somebody has just yes. fed her a snickers <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a beautiful way to put it i love it and then I, I, I regret nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then we move on to Captain Marvel number twenty. I believe both of these are supposed to be between five and six. Empire five and Empire six. That sounds hundred percent correct. Captain Marvel twenty. I I could not love an issue of this more. Right? Like, yeah. No. This is this is beautiful. Jess and L'Oreal. Uh huh. Are just fantastic. The idea of splitting up the powers of the accuser's hammer to, like, help Carol keep it in check is great. We get some answers about what's been going on and who's behind it and, like, a fun fight scene. Yeah. And then we get sort of the, the hook of this, which is feeding into the next issue, which is someone shows up at Carol's door after she's told L'Oreal, no, hang out here, don't leave unless it's an emergency. And Carol's neighbor, whose daughter, like, is a big Captain Marvel fan, shows up at the door because the daughter's gone missing. And you just see L'Oreal ask, so is this an emergency? Yes. And then this kind of, like, okay, I'm on it moment. Yeah. So, yeah, the... the Especially the cover of the next one, really. See, I alluded to this a while back. I remember know. remember when we talked uh -huh. about how great L'Oreal was? And I'm like, then I remember the cover to a later issue of yeah. the, the arc, and I was sad. Yeah. And so I, I see two outcomes. One is what the cover leads us to believe, which I don't know is the answer. It, it does say Danvers on it. So, right. yeah. The maybe. other. The other possibility that I see coming out of this, which I think is far more likely and teased in this issue, is that the hammer of the accuser actually goes to L'Oreal. I think that's where it's going to go. Yeah. She, she has the she, line about how yeah. she can hear it sing. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and she'd I, be such a good accuser. Right. Exactly. I mean, she's got the arms for it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> 
It's good. It is true. Jessica says, your arms are incredible. And Moreau goes, yes, I love them. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Hazmat, yeah. Um, but, oh, just I, – I, L'Oreal is, like, the best in that she understands, but, like, the way she res- – the way she responds with that understanding is so off that it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 It it was a good week for Empire. Yeah. Agreed. And now we turn our attention to X-Men. I don't believe any of these are Ten of Swords preludes. I don't think week. they are directly, no. Um, although it's hard to imagine that Cable doesn't have something to do exactly. with it. Exactly. That's kind of why or, I said a book called Excalibur. So, <laughs> yeah. Starting with Excalibur, Excalibur number eleven. It took me a moment to to remember where we were at and to realize I hadn't missed something because didn't ten end with this idea that like we'd created all these fractured realities where every member of this team had become yes. Captain Britain. Yes. We don't really we don't really get back to that idea in this issue. No. Instead, we learn a lot about the two different factions that uh, follow, to varying degrees, uh, Saturnine's orders and teachings. Yes. Um, We've seen so far sort of the white priestesses who exist in the tower, and when they leave, they hide their faces, so they're all acting under the identity of Saturnine and follow her exact orders and instructions yeah, the fundamentalists, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas in this book, we see the the green priestesses who are more about following the teachings, the the spirit of the teachings, rather than the dogma. Yeah. And they are basically druids. Like we see a lot of them interacting with Richter. Like oh, Richter. We see yeah. a lot of them interacting with Richter, yeah. and like kind of get the idea maybe retroactively that all this sort of Richter and Druid stuff so far has been about them, uh, at least implicitly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Shogo Jubilee stuff is my favorite part of this. Shogo had been shot down by the white priestesses and the green priestesses at the beginning of this have Jubilee locked up and Jubilee is sure that they are killing her child. Jubilee's angry and they're keeping her from causing problems until she calms down. Like we see Betsy, like, calm her down and explain, no, no, they're taking care of Shogo. They're helping him heal up. You can see him if you'll calm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a white page in here where they talk about their general, de- their general way of dealing with conflict is they'll defend the lands they defend, mm-hmm. but as soon as whoever they're defending against is worn out and is willing to just talk, then they'll immediately like start a conversation, go to parley, work out some way forward that is not conflict. Yeah. I like these folks. I do too. I like the green priestesses. I also love the sort of like post credit scene that this issue gives us. <laughs> Where we see just how well Rogue knows who Gambit is and is just willing to let him be himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we get a little bit of lore throughout this too uh, between apocalypse or two dots and richter yeah and i feel like i feel like all that lore informs what happens in this scene too right 
I think so, yes. I believe we will find that to be the case. So do we know who all of these people are that are in this scene that Apocalypse? They they name Celine uh-huh. and they identify this group as externals. And in my head I go, okay, yeah. The weird mutant immortals who keep dying and coming back and occasionally messing with Gambit. All right. Which is honestly what I say in my head every time they show up. So, like, maybe I should pay a little more attention to externals. Uh, I do know that they recently showed up in a cable book. Um, Like a cable in the X-Force. Or maybe it was just when the volume became X-Force again. Uh, It was like a buck or free on Comixology on sale at one point. So I grabbed it and it was a good story. Um, So I believe... I believe from it, I know that almost all of them had died off. And now, as of that time, almost all of them were alive again, including Celine and including, uh, oh, what's the name of the one? The other one who gets name checked here. Who? Kendra. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I think they were all alive again because time traveling cable X-Force hijinks. Okay. Um, yeah. What I don't know are the other three. I don't know if i know who they yeah. are oh i could not name any others oh, oh i got them. you i got you i know that they were all most if not all of them were in that book um which i think was about one of them trying to kill the others to win the superpower tontine um yeah because when one dies their powers go into the others which this book fortunately reminds us of but that's as much as I can help in any externals conversation. Okay, so yeah, I did a quick Google. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope that are... my rambling would buy time for that. Yes. Yeah. So there are some other ones where who I recognize names, even if I don't know, you know, exactly who they're like. There's Absalom. Yeah. Was Absalom despair. was in that X Force book. And so, and, the, and with the externals, right? There's there's like the positive side and kind of the negative type side right yeah like you have absalom who is despair and kandra who is guile and then you have like cannonball right who is hope wait Uh, cannonball is one of the externals uh yeah apparently okay yeah news to me uh or at least at one point yeah uh cruel is ferocity gideon who is you know obviously a hero person is uh opportunity okay then you have uh, Selena's corruption and Apocalypse's evolution. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm guessing these others are probably because like I, I've heard the name Absalom before. Yeah. And I, I've heard the name Cruel before, so I'm guessing it's probably some of those folks. Yeah, I want to say they were both in that X Force book. Let me let me yeah. see if I can anyway. tell you real quick what X Force run that is. I'm referencing here. It was a cable run. Okay. Uh, it was the. 2017 2018 volume of cable specifically the trade for volume two so maybe a little less x-force and a little more just cable although dupe is there so maybe that's where i get some of the x-force idea from uh and what was that called that was called the newer mutants the newer mutants okay yeah so to the extent that anything that has happened in the recent past of the marvel universe is relevant in (laughs) x-men uh i know that's the last external stuff that I had heard mentioned. Yeah, so Nicodemus, Absalom, and Cruel are probably who those other three are. Yeah, that one makes sense. Yeah. All right, anyway. Cool. Fun, uh, fun, fun little devolvement there. Yeah. How about Wolverine? What's going on with Logan? 
and his piss bucket. <laughs> I was going to say something about that. <laughs> I, I saw the look on your face and knew it was coming. He gives Magneto's helmet back and they're like, Logan, you, you can't take, you can't do, you can't treat one of the the council members like that because, you know, it, it takes away their authority and this, that, and the other. Da, da. He's like, well, then you're really going to not like the fact that I pissed in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh, he does not. No, he does not. His face um, says it all. And then we find out Wolverine has his own private gate. He planted a secret. In Canada. Yeah, of course it does. And it leads him to a bar. It leads him to the shittiest, diviest dive bar in Canada. Like the most Logan backcountry bar in Canada, yes. Yeah. Do you think they call that stretch that you have to go to to get through Krakoa to Logan's secret gate and then from his gate to this bar? Do you think that stretch is known as Logan's Run? It is now. <laughs> Good. Or or at least it was. <laughs> Maybe it's not anymore. Yeah, it turns out that uh, the people that are in this bar knew who he was all along. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, or not, because they all want to kill you. And, and then it turns out that they're not the ones you need to worry about. <laughs> no, it's Omega Red and the vampires. Oh, yeah. So we knew this was a Bruin. Yep. And I think we're about to have it bubble over. I would say so. Or under, in this case. You know, nothing's going to make Logan matter than the fact that he was saved by Omega Red. Saved, with quotation marks around I was going to say, would you call that being saved, though? Well, yeah. frying pan fire. Yeah, fair enough. Fire's probably not the right analogy either, in this case, either. <sighs> Thank you, Captain Specificity. Refrigerator freezer? I don't know. <laughs> Out of the... Out of the block of ice and into being drowned in icy water? <laughs> okay, that, that one that one's a bit on the nose, but sure, let's go for it. Look, they were going to Captain America him. <laughs> Instead, he's being drowned. Yes, there we go. Cable, on to Cable. Let's talk about swords. God dang, I love this book by Doug. Swords and Space Knights. And <sighs> I'm going to call it now just the worst date. <laughs> just the worst date. Esme drew the short straw. Yeah, she really, really did. Um, but you know what? Hey, he's going to need that guy's arm. I, God! Oh! I was just about to launch into it. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, you beat me there. Yeah, I'm going to need a telepath and uh, my, my, my old friend Deadpool and uh, a mystic space sword. And uh, that guy's prosthetic arm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Damn it. See, the um, problem The problem is you go for quality setup, and I just cut I, to the punchline. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, God, there's so much to love about this. First of all, can I, can I say once again, because I believe I said it last time. Phil Noto's art. Good God, Phil Noto, I love you and your art. <laughs> yep. You, you may, in fact, say it. Oh, Because it is man. true. It is so beautiful. And, the, <laughs> and is Emma just the best character in every book she's in now? Yes. Somehow, inexplicably, Emma is maybe the best X-Man. Right? I don't know how this works. The world is truly here's, upside down. 
here is my theory. I've, 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 got, I've got a theory here. All okay. right. I think we are in an era where a lot of the people writing X-Men have read a lot of runs by writers who like Emma a lot uh-huh. and have really cool Emma moments. Like, I'm thinking of, as much as it kind of pains me to ever go to a Joss Whedon thing, but I'm thinking of Joss Whedon's X-Men run, where one of the mm-hmm. best moments is Emma and Scott pulling off this two-man con that they manage. Like, you know it was Emma behind because Scott's not smart enough for that. <laughs> and, like, you get these really cool Emma moments. And, like, you see, I think, some of this where Bendis uses Emma and wants an Emma that's a little more... Still still very much like Hellfire Emma, but a little more involved and a little more human, has a soft spot right. for working with kids. Like, I think we're in a place that's the payoff of all of those sort of character moments that are moving her past villain to a place where, like, really there's enough in her history for people to work with and enough character beats for people to work with to make her really, really interesting and fun and grounded and fleshed out in a way that I don't think when you're introduced as a villain in the Hellfire organization, right. you get the room to be. Well, and I think, honestly, I think I just I realized as you were kind of talking, I think what a lot of them really lean into with her is that by far her best trait is loyalty to the people that she chooses to care for. Yeah. Like her daughters, right? Mm-hmm. And Kitty. Yep. Catherine. Uh, like the the people that she does choose to allow in her life and care for, like literally she would do anything for them. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, <laughs> Esme, what is that boy up to? Do I need to come get you? <laughs> like such a mom thing, right? Right. And that, like too, like that's, Beautiful. there's this very protective maternal vibe. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. She may be sometimes a Machiavellian monster, but if she's your Machiavellian monster, <laughs> yep. then you're I mean, good. but to you, she's just mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> for the, for, yeah. To you, she's just a momster. <laughs> wow. Um... <laughs> And then, as if we didn't have enough in a, like, we know about Duggan writing Deadpool, don't we? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I love, I love this bit where, and there are just so many layers to it, like, yes. Cable, Cable needs his old man body with the arm. So he goes to dig up his own grave. And his body's been taken. So he goes to Deadpool to ask for the body. And Deadpool, like, refuses and is just there to piss him off. Because to Deadpool, like, this kid grows up to be his best friend. But he's not right. him yet. He's to Cable, yet. Deadpool's just this asshole who stole his body. <laughs> and, like, Deadpool's needling and needling and needling. And you get to the, okay... But be angrier, and you'll remind me of my best friend. You'll be closer to being the person I know and like. And, and he's that, just trying to get him there. And just his his complete Deadpool off the cut. Like, the first thing he says when he sees him is, what the hell are you moisturizing with? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, then we learn that old man Cable has specifically told Deadpool to protect his body and his arm and to assume that young Cable is responsible for his death and never let him have any of it. And then we get... <laughs> then he looks at Esme. I can feel you trying to put the mental whammy on me. It's not going to work, whichever one you are. Which one are you? Puma? Colleen? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then the look on Esme's face. She's like, Esme. <laughs> <laughs> Deadpool's true superpower is his ability to instantly piss anyone off. That yep. truly is his superpower. Yeah. I love it. Deadpool, mutant ability, ruining anyone's day. <laughs> All right. Uh, last book. Uh, I'm going to be super quick here. Uh, yeah, Shadow see. Service number one. This is a new Vault series. We talked about it last week. This was one of the books I was looking forward to this week. It is about a PI who is a witch and like comes having read it now comes from this very noir hard-boiled PI kind of place like a little Jessica Jones maybe you know there's there's some trauma there's some maybe not liking herself although I, I'd say that generally like she's a little more a little less sour than your go-to noir detective she all her life kind of had this voice in her head whispering magic words to her and one day said one of the words to end a really shitty situation and oh she can do magic nice. um, like the cost for magic in this world is insomnia and she has no friends except this one rat who's basically her familiar who is wonderful so she takes gigs to pay her bills because that's life right like it's it's very very pulp noir and then the end of this issue the setup for the series going forward is she is then tricked into being kidnapped trapped in a bottle for these shady government operatives and we get the teaser next issue mi666 <laughs> nice it's a really cool book i like the art in it um i like the the world building in it but the main character here is like worth the price of admission which i think you need in this sort of story cool Vault made a good comic. Who'd have guessed? Who would have thought? Published a good comic. Who'd have yeah. guessed? Who'd have guessed? All right. Is it still good? Once in future, number 10, uh, Grindel visits the old folks' home. Aquaman, number 62. I'm going to take just a second to break format on this one. Okay. Um, because we have Jordan Clark. Uh, filling in for a couple of issues uh, for Kelly Sue DeConnick and focusing in on Jackson Hyde. Yeah, Aqualad. Aqualad. And I'm breaking format and wanted to make sure to name names here because uh, by design, this is a pair of issues focusing on Aqualad as a young gay black man. And sort of what that means, what that means about how he moves through the world and how that kind of in, informs his identity as being human and from Zebel as well. So there's a lot going on here, and I think it's done very well. I think if you don't know Jackson Hyde, this is a good place to start even maybe i mean there's a little bit of what's going on in the story right now that it would help to have in terms of his relationship to black manta and and his uh, grandfather and his grandfather and like what's going on there why is grandpa a big robot ship yeah and by the way that that pairing of him and his grandfather is actually a really good story dialogue mix yeah yeah i i I put this in Is It Still Good just because I think there's more going on here than I am really qualified to talk about. Fair enough. 
but I think it is absolutely worth reading. And I, based on one issue alone, would read a whole Jackson Hyde run from this creative team. It's the art is beautiful. Um, The art is Marco Santucci uh, with Romulo Fallardo Jr. on colors. Yeah. So uh, the Jackson Hyde, like he was never a character that just connected with me and I don't particularly know why. Yeah. Um, but like recently in the the more recent Aquaman stuff is probably the version of him that has connected with me the most. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Batman number 97, Brian. Harley saves Batman again. And apparently she's uh, she's the best uh, the best dealer to have. Hey, trust me, I'm a doctor. That's right. Catwoman number 24? Uh, this ties up the storyline of her uh, on an island. Turns out that, you know, she's not just a jewel thief. Well, I mean, she is, but it's not all she is. Harley Quinn, black, white, and red, number eight and nine. Uh, this is one of those digital first series. Uh, number eight is uh, Daniel Kibblesmith and Marguerite Sauvage. And is Harley Quinn uh, dozing off on a subway train to wake up after hours and having to fight her way through pirates and manspreaders and boomboxers and all these weird, like, train gangs that control individual cars to get to Amos, who controls the the train, and uh, be able to stop at Coney Island. Uh, it is beautiful and hilarious. Then number nine is written and drawn by Joe Quinones, uh, using some of the same designs that he did for the uh, story he did recently with Chips Darsky. And this is Harley driving Ivy nuts while Ivy is trying to find the Fountain of Youth. And Harley que- keeps coming in to try to rescue her and screwing things up. Both both issues are a lot of fun and just gorgeous. This is a good art book. Great. Nightwing number seventy three, Brian. Uh this is Dick Grayson as Robin, uh son of the Joker, uh fighting Batgirl. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth number four. Uh this is the end of this series. Wonder Woman has to make a choice between Saving humanity or standing with the Amazons. Avengers number 35. Uh, Moon Knight comes for Brandy. And uh, we learn that Tony Stark might not be the person you want to give a baby. Tony does not win Father of the Year. No. No. Conan Battle for the Serpent Crown uh, gives us Conan versus Namor versus Champion. It's very good. Uh, I, I want to talk about this cover, though, which I think is the first time in history that Namor has been the most clothed man on a cover. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask if it was Battle of the Shirtless. <laughs> Underwater. It is shirtless and damp. <laughs> like when you said all three of those names, I was like, oh, this is just Battle of the Shirtless. <laughs> That's what this is. Uh, Champion is fully clothed in like a diving suit. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But uh, yeah, this is this is underwater shirtless death match. All 
right. Uh, the cover is accurate. Uh, Thor number six jumps to after the fight between Thor, Galactus, and the Black Winter. And uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Also, Thor has redecorated the Bifrost. Okay. Uh, that leaves two books that fall into this weird category of have been out for weeks digitally and just came out physically. Yeah. Uh, Star number four, which is the second to last issue of this miniseries. I believe, because I read this weeks ago, that this is the issue where Star, Scarlet Witch, and Captain Marvel uh, all find themselves having to team up to deal with the Black Order. And then Valkyrie Jane Foster number 10 is, to my knowledge, the last issue of Valkyrie and deals with her ending the the conflict that has like brainwashed Thor and Odin's brother Tyr and led them uh, uh, on their galactic conquest to end life, basically. All right. Next week's books to read there. Next week's books to read uh as brian remembers that he should check and see because he didn't send me his picks i I will stall for okay you got him yeah i got him okay well how many you got uh two okay well i will start with daredevil annual number one uh this is per chip an important issue in the run it's not a side story or a one-off that it's very much part of the story that's ongoing and needs to not be missed what's the first thing on your list uh every time until it's done so suicide squad number eight cool yep fair we've talked about it so i don't i don't even have to talk about why because we've done it before but yeah as a quick aside uh bride have you seen that suicide suicide squad uh (laughs) video game trailer not yet Uh, okay uh you have a treat waiting for you I will, uh, you know what? I may take a look at it on my new computer. (laughs) Uh, My second pick is X-Factor number two. We talked about one when it came out, but I could see this maybe falling between the cracks for folks who were navigating, getting caught up on comics after the hiatus. Uh, And it is definitely worth picking up. Yeah. What's your second pick? My second one is uh, Question the Deaths of Vic Sage number four, which is the last of this four issue. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm, I'm excited for this to be finished and and get the whole thing read. It's, it's been a good run. Uh, I've enjoyed it and that will do it for us. Uh, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit our website at panelologypodcast.com. Support us at patreon.com slash panelology. Buy merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch, capital P capital M. Or submit questions and comments to us at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P, capital M. Until next week, I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. Go read those comics. Mm-hmm.